Welcome to another episode of the Commonwealth Poetry Podcast. Where we're celebrating poetry and the Commonwealth with people from across the Commonwealth. I'm Giles Brandreth. And I'm Afra Brandreth. We're a father and daughter based in England in the UK. But each fortnight, together with the University of Chester, we're on an adventure around the Commonwealth, meeting fascinating people, hearing their stories, getting to know 56 amazing and diverse countries, and exploring it all through poetry. And today, we're going to a part of the world that technically, I think, is called St. Vincent and the Grenadines. I say it's technically called that because not all of the Grenadines are part of St. Vincent and the Grenadines. Have I got that right, Afra? I think you may be correct that the Southern Grenadines are part of Grenada. Um, but altogether, there are about 32 smaller islands um, and atolls that form part of St. Vincent and the Grenadines. Although alongside St. Vincent, only about seven of those small islands are populated. And it's the part of the world that's volcanic, mountainous, uh, the islands covered in forest. Population of St. Vincent and the Grenadines officially is, I think, uh, nearly 111,000 people. The area, quite small, 390 square kilometres, but of course, not all of the islands are populated. The capital city is Kingstown. Joined the Commonwealth in 1979 following independence from Britain. The language, English is the official language, but there is a Vincentian Creole that's widely spoken. And we're going to be meeting somebody quite special, aren't we? Who, who are we meeting? We are indeed. We're meeting Philip Nanton, who is a writer and spoken word performer who was born and brought up in St. Vincent. Um, but, well, we're going to hear his story about where he went on to from there. Philip, welcome. It's wonderful to have you here on the Commonwealth Poetry Podcast. I think you're now living in Barbados. But take us back to where things began for you. I believe you were born and brought up in St. Vincent and the Grenadines. Tell us your story. Uh, well, first of all, thanks for inviting me to, to join the podcast. Uh, I was born a long time ago <laughs> in St. Vincent. Uh, and in those days, it was still a colony of Britain. Uh, and St. Vincent is now St. Vincent and the Grenadines. And I lived there till I was 13, going on 14. Uh, so I went to primary school there. I had my early growing up experience there. My family, we lived, first of all, in the capital, Kingstown, uh, for a number of years, and then moved out to the countryside. And I live, we live near the sea, um, a region called Rafa Mill, right in the in a southern peninsula of, of the main island, St. Vincent. As I understand it, there are sort of 32 or so islands, but only a few of them are inhabited. So where were you actually born? Which of the islands were you born on? Yes, I was born on St. Vincent, like the main, the main island. Uh, yes, there are 32, but there are about seven or eight, really, which have populations. The rest are just tiny little, little atolls. Um, and uh, St. Vincent obviously has the, 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 is the main body of the population um, of St. Vincent and the Grenadines. And most people tend to live near, nowadays anyway, near Kingstown and its suburbs. So it's as if the island was sort of shaken and everybody sort of fell to the south of the island. Um, 
and we're and so I grew up there, as I was saying, in Kingstown first, and then we moved out into the countryside. Give us a flavor of what childhood was then. I mean, did you live? Uh, yes, in a, so, a town, um, a village. What food did you eat? What did you? I, I lived. Were living? I lived. I lived in the town, Kingstown. Uh, the things I remember about Kingstown is that it was then it was a very small community, um, and uh, there it had one. It had a few primary schools, uh, and I actually went to what was called a dame school, which was a school run by one lady who turned her home into a school, and she would have maybe about 15 or so pupils who would go. And we did the three R's, reading, writing, and arithmetic. Uh, and so it was, but she, those were, we were very good at those, <laughs> and things like, uh, chemistry and physics and so on tend to get very short shrift because we had no experience of that. Uh, the schooling also involved, I also went to a public, uh, a state school for a uh, prep school, primary school. And I remember things like playing marbles in the break time. So you would have a bag of marbles and you'd put some of yours in and your opponents, if they knocked it out of the circle, then they would go home with yours. And so very often I was going home with fewer and fewer marbles each, each day. Um, also, another exciting thing, I mean, in my day also, we had at home something, those old-fashioned gramophone, wind-up gramophones, which you had to change the needle after every few times it was used, that kind of thing. Uh, I went to, we had a very uh, Saturday morning cinema, which for me was very popular. I used to go to the Saturday morning cinema. American cowboy films that we were seeing, uh, but that was something that I wouldn't didn't want to miss. And so, in many ways, I suppose you could say it was it was it was a very pleasant, ideal life. And then moving to the countryside, into the to to the to out of the city, the countryside by the beach. You know, there was there was swimming, as and when I could I could I could do it. So you moved then from St Vincent and when you were 13 years old? My parents decided it was a good idea to send me away to England. So I went to England and I went to school there and stayed there for many years. My elder brother was there and uh, so I went to school there. Uh, and, but my interest in, in writing and in poetry in particular really only started when I went to university. Uh, this was when I was at Birmingham. I went to Birmingham University. And <clears throat> in those days you had small, they were called little magazines, small poetry magazines. And I had my first poem in a magazine called, called Little Word Machine. <laughs> and I got to know the editor. And what happened was that uh, at a certain point, he got interested in producing an anthology of pan-Caribbean writing. So, it, so we had writing from the French Caribbean, from the Spanish Caribbean, from the Dutch Caribbean, as well as the English Caribbean. Most of it poetry, but, but not all. And are there subjects that come up in Caribbean poetry that you don't find elsewhere? Um, well, the early subjects were very much to do with the locality. Um, so a lot of poets uh, in the early days would write about the nature of island life in one form or another. So in that respect, I would say, you know, the early poetry was, was very much, much like that. So, I mean, if I could give you an example of one of mine that's a bit like that. Um, it, see, I see it like, in relation to other Commonwealth countries, it's like the size of a punctuation mark. The poem that I, I want to read is called Punctuation Marks. 
Um, and it captures, tries to capture the fact that the region is also on a geological fault line is important because um, so we have volcanoes. There are about 11 active volcanoes across the region. Um, St. Vincent has one as well. Uh, so this poem is about, it's a sort of a definitional poem uh, which captures some of the, that, those aspects. So the, so the poem is punctuation marks and it goes like this. Where sea and land meet, begin there. The ampersand, the join is a fault which caused jagged peaks to rise from the ocean's floor, spanning a vacant gulf. On any map of the world, there are footnotes, reminders of nature's force. Long ago, nomads, fragile as their pottery, skimming waves, trekking from south to north, stopped once too often for wood and water and perished. From the pre-ceramic Siboni to the ceramics of Saladide and Suezoid, we know them by their shards. Common island caribs sunk in a murderous tide that flowed from east to west, bearing assassins and poets, the discoverers of the new world. Come nearer, focus on one dot of an island. I was born there on the rim of a volcano, on the edge of a large full stop, where the sand is black, where the hills are a gun barrel blue, where the sea perpetually dashes at the shoreline, trying to reclaim it all. So that was my punctuation marks. <clears throat> well, it's a marvelous poem, and we needn't have asked you to describe uh, St. Vincent because you do it so brilliantly in the poem. What gave you the notion of making a kind of simile with punctuation marks in relation to St. Vincent? How did that idea come to you? How does the, the poet's it, mind work? The, the title actually came last, was the very last thing, um, mm -hmm. because as, as I was writing the poem, I, I realized that I was playing with both a, a sense of sort of defining myself and defining the island. And then I realized that I was actually playing with all these punctuation marks. And then it struck me that it would be a, quite a useful title. You say you got into literature when you came to England to study at Birmingham University. At school in St. Vincent and the Grenadines, is poetry taught? And is it European poetry, American poetry, or is it Caribbean poetry now? What, what would young people be exposed to as they were growing up? Oh, in my day, it would certainly be um, British poetry, like I told you. Um, uh, the That poem stuck in my mind very much, The Burial of Sir John Moore uh, at Corona. Um, and we would have to also... So memorization was important. The memorization in relation to maybe soliloquies from Shakespeare that you would have to stand up and, and, and spout. Um, uh, we would also have to, to learn... Aspects of the Bible, for instance, uh, certain certain lines, um, and the so the early poetry that we were exposed to was certainly from from essentially from Britain. Uh, obviously, increasingly, uh, Caribbean literature has moved much more center in central into the the literature courses and the literature teaching in the Caribbean, but not entirely. I mean, it, it, there is still quite a, a, you know, it, it's 
I think now the term that's used is literatures in English, which opens it up to a much wider range of, of possibility for the teachers and, and for, the, for the students as well. When you were a boy, did it feel strange to you? I mean, I was taught the, the poem that you mentioned by Charles Wolfe. Not a drum was heard, not a funeral note as his course to the rampart we hurried, not a soldier discharged his farewell shot o'er the grave when our hero we buried. It seemed so totally alien to the uh, volcanic island on which you were living, swimming in the sea, eating the kind of food your mother was creating for you. Did you think, is this strange, or did you just accept it as part and parcel of life? It was um, something I had to learn. <laughs> I had to be able to repeat it whenever asked. And so it was more uh, like that rather than having any sen any affinity for, for the poetry or, or anything like that. I probably vaguely realized there was a, a regular rhythm to it, uh, which helped me to learn it. I wouldn't say it went any further than that, quite honestly. Um, and so it was strange in some sense, but it, but the strangeness only occurred to me, you know, much later. Are there any poets who've particularly influenced your work or inspired you? Yes, um, there were certainly. Uh, for me, poetry is what I would call a fairly broad church, and um, so, you know. When, when, I, when you asked me to come on the podcast, I realized Commonwealth poetry, my sense of the Commonwealth is terribly formal. You know, people in suits, heads of government meetings and, and a special poem being required and that sort of thing. Whereas actually for me, although that I read that poem of mine earlier, the poetry for me is actually to do much more with joy and fun and sort of sense of liberation. And so the poets that, I, uh, that I'm interested in also write in a more conversational style rather than in a sort of very heavy formal style, uh, which gives a chance of, which for me, you know, which, which I think is important. So uh, one poet from my island who has, is interested with what would write with a sense of tongue in cheek was, is a guy, is a, he was a jazz musician as well called Sheikh Keen. And he was also a very good poet and a jazz musician. And I wrote a biography of, of his life uh, a few years ago. Uh, so he was certainly an influence. And I find that also um, the conversational style that he used is something that, that I use a lot. Um, and and that, that for me is, is, is actually just as important. Plus, it opens up the chance for a lot more fun, it seems to me, with, with poetry. Well, I've got one of mine <laughs> rather than one of his. Um, and it's, it's a fairly short piece. Um, it's, it's called Kitchen Combo. So as you know, may know, the combo is a small group of musicians, um, usually a few guitars and a singer and a drummer. And um, so I sort of just play with the idea. Uh, and it goes something like this. Round midnight, when the old house lies dark and deep, the owner's all gone off to sleep. That's when the kitchen combo wakes and starts to find its groove. The oven clock beats a 4-4 time. Salt shakes high and salt shakes low. Calls a tune all the pans will know. And soon, they're cooking. Slim vinegar licks her fingers up and down the guitar neck. Pepper sauce says, what the heck? No one here will sleep till dawn. And blows himself a fiery horn. 
When Batch the Breadloaf sings, his stomach rolls. Sad Scratch the Greater sits up straighter than a ladder, scrapes his offbeat up and down the ladder. Just one thing makes old Scratch sad and low. No fork, no knife, no spoon ever wants a greater solo. Well, it's very evocative because you made it sound like, I mean, uh, almost a jazz combo. And, and Shake Keen was uh, a jazz musician, wasn't he, as well as a poet? Very much so, yes. Um, he, he, in the 60s and 70s, he played um, with a, a modern jazz band, um, the Joe Harriet Quintet in London. And uh, he played trumpet and flugelhorn uh, for, for, for them. He was, he was like, I would say, one of the main artists, that's international artists that St. Vincent has produced in the 20th century. I mean, you're interested in, because you did another book called Frontiers of the Caribbean, in placing Caribbean literature in the context of world literature. Am I right in that? And if I am right in that, what is the essence of what makes Caribbean, why is it important? Because, you know, St. Vincent and the Grenadines, as you rightly say, is a very small part of the world. And how do these Caribbean islands have an identity and a, a voice that's distinct from other voices? That's exactly what I was trying to capture, for example, in the Island Voices book. Because, for example, um, we were, I would write about a, a taxi driver. I'd write in the voice of a taxi driver. And of course, taxi drivers exist all over the world. So at least then our taxi driver can be, can be put alongside a taxi driver in Egypt, in Pakistan, in wherever. Um, I would write, I have a piece that I do in the voice of a church volunteer uh, who she's complaining about um, the, another member of the committee who isn't pulling her weight. And so it's, uh, the piece go, is about that. Um, and she's complaining also about the, 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 the preacher, who, the, the head of the church, or who is obviously not, she feels isn't sufficiently committed to, um, to, 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 to their role in trying to, to get money for the church. And so, uh, you know, you will have people like that all over the world <laughs> um, in churches. And so I, that, so the, the, those are my exact, that's the, so basically what I'm trying to say is that um, poetry has, uh, the voice of the common person is just as important in poetry as very highfalutin poetry. And what do you feel that poetry can do that other kinds of storytelling, plays, short stories, novels can't do? What does poetry do that makes it distinct and worth pursuing? The fact that you have a blank page and the poet will put his or her words in lots of different parts of that page. Whereas if you're a prose writer, you'll start at the top left and go across and go down and so on and so on until you come to the end. Whereas a poet would take that blank page and use it in lots of different ways. Might have words either side, might only have a few words on it. In a more imaginative way, each page is used in a different way, and nobody else does that other than poets. You've lived in three different Commonwealth countries: in Saint Vincent and the Grenadines, the UK, and now in Barbados. Does the Commonwealth mean anything to you? Is it something that you are aware of? Um, 
living now in Barbados? Yes, I mean, one is you're always aware of the Commonwealth. Um, for me, I, I, I think, as I said at the beginning, I, I think the Commonwealth, my association of it is with a lot of formality, essentially. Um, you know, those heads of government meetings, the, um, the fact that the very serious issues are looking at development and those kinds of things. Uh, I know that, that that's a, a lot of sort of, of, of the work associated with the Commonwealth. And I mean, quite rightly so. But uh, in terms of poetry, then, you know, it, 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 the, the problem is that it, the, it can be a little too restrictive in terms of wanting something terribly formal and terribly proper. And for me, poetry is much wider than that. And so one has to look, look beyond that, those sort, of, those sort of concerns as well. And, but I think poetry can also make an impact by reminding you know, people that you know, there's another side. There's, there's a side that's to do, to do with laughter, to do with humor, to do with satire, to do with irony, to do with all kinds of other things as well. Can you treat us to one more poem that maybe illustrates the, the joy that you were talking about, the informality? Well, yeah, okay, I'll, I'll do that. It's, it's a short one. It came in the Caribbean. We have a lot of music festivals. And so um, uh, I attended this. I used to go regularly to this festival. And they'd last perhaps all weekend. So you'd go and you'd spend the day uh, on a hill, on a side of a hill, uh, and different bands would come and play. And <clears throat> uh, I, I got interested more in the audience <laughs> than, in the, than in, the, in, in the band. And so this, this piece um, is called, uh, it's called All That Jazz. And um, it's, I'm trying to find it now. Okay, yeah, it's called All That Jazz. And it's, yeah, it's informal and it plays with, with some chat and so on. And the thing about it is also, I talk about a Banks, uh, which is, it was written in Barbados, at a Barbados festival. And the Banks is a title of a kind of beer. So it's, it's bottled beer. So that's all you need to know. So all that jazz, it goes like this. On the hill each year, everyone's making style. The grassy banks poker dotted with people popping corks and passing plates. And that style is cool. There's no cooler place than up the mound, looking down on the sound as you ease and squeeze your way round. Flash the flesh to folks you haven't seen for, ooh, days. And there's Eugene with one fist round the banks and one arm round the shanks oven. Who was that I saw you with? Did you see what I did? And don't say that I said, but things are coming to a head. And it's so cool when the white wine's chillings. And though the bucks all come for the billing, by the last set, all the folks are willing for just one more number, sweet and low. Please, Mr. Saxman, just one more blow. Then we'll pack our plates and spoons, and following that rising fickle moon, we too are soon out of here. Well, Philip, I think you're brilliant, clearly, and you are brilliant. You're acclaimed. You the people can. We'll put some of this on the website. Um, and Afra, is there anything else you, we should touch base with Philip on? 
I think this has all been fabulous. It's been wonderful to meet you, Philip. Do you ever go back to St. Vincent? And, and if you do, what do you most look forward to seeing or doing when you go there? Yes, I do go back. Um, what do I look forward to most? Um, well, I still have some family and relatives there. So I go back and, and see them, certainly. And I find that um, it's, it's, I have a sort of a strange love-hate relationship with it because as I've grown away from it, there are things that uh, I do very much like and still there are like sort of lovely memories of it. But at the same time, the way that it's changed is um, I kind of feel some distance from it. So it's, it's a very mixed feeling. When you say the way it's changed, the way it's been modernized, you feel it's lost some of the charm uh, when you were a boy? Well, it's in the, only in the sense that when you move away from a place, you know, the place changes and you change and the two aren't necessarily going in the same direction. And so you have, you have to almost sort of relearn it because a lot of the thing about St. Vincent is that um, the population of St. Vincent, um, three times the population of St. Vincent live outside than live in it. And so... Um, you know, they're, they're, so a lot of my friends also moved away. And so, you know, that, that element uh, also of the, the continuity gets, gets lost. And so you have to sort of kind of start again in a way. And is that because there aren't that many opportunities on the island or just because people from St. Vincent are global and they want to travel to other places? What's the reason behind so many? Oh, no, it, essentially it's looking for work because St. Vincent doesn't provide the opportunity for, for work. And it's, in many ways, you know, economically it's a, a very depressed society. A lot of people survive by funds and things being sent back. Uh, we, what we call a barrel culture. So things are put into a barrel <laughs> and sent back to the island uh, for, for people who have remained there. Uh, it's, the, the, the dependency is, is quite substantial. That's it for this podcast. Our thanks to Philip Nanton, who chose to read three of his own poems, Punctuation Marks, Kitchen Combo, and All That Jazz, all by Philip Nanton. He also mentioned uh, the book he's written about Sheikh Keen, Riff, the Sheikh Keen story. And Sheikh Keen sounds to me like a very intriguing character. And I'm going to look up this book published by the Papillot Press in 2021 and find out more about him. Join us next time when we'll be in another Commonwealth country with more poetry from the Commonwealth. The Commonwealth Poetry Podcast is, well, technically it's masterminded by the brilliant digital team at the University of Chester. And uh, it's produced in association with our friends from the Royal Commonwealth Society. Thank you so much for listening and uh, see and hear you next time, wherever that may be. 56 Commonwealth countries. I think we've only been to about half of them so far. Lots of excitement to come. <laughs>